I can be convinced. All right, these uh, recorders. A necessary evil. Returning together to the book of Leviticus. We're looking at object lessons of our Savior. These are inventions of the Lord Himself. The tabernacle, the priesthood, the sacrificial system. We see in the sacrifices prophetic pictures of our Savior, His suffering, His substitutionary atonement, His salvation that He procures. We looked at the burnt and the uh, food offerings in the first and second chapters. and We think that there is a flow to these sacrifices. Notice in chapter 3 and verse 1 it says, And if his oblation or his sacrifice, they're synonyms, be a sacrifice of peace offering. So you go from the burnt offering to the food offering to the peace offering. The burnt offering, you remember, was the, the animal was completely consumed. The, it was not shared. The priests got none of it to eat. Neither did the offerer. It's a picture of Christ offering Himself. It's He died alone. The Lord Jesus' suffering for us was uh, alone. His being alone. The offering for our sins and feeling alone, isolated as He was set apart for bearing the wrath of God and, and taking away our sins. And even the food offering, speaking of the Savior, not as without blemish and spot like the animal, but fine flour, finely sifted flour. The Lord Jesus was without sin, and yet He took the heat of the fire like the animal parts, and like the fine flour was burned on the altar, or it was baked in an oven, or it was... Uh, scorched if they took the, the plants scorched by the fire. These are pictures that we should see of the Lord Jesus where the animal did not suffer before it was flayed and cut in pieces before all to see. Jesus experienced these before He was killed, before He was murdered. And the point is that the offer was to see I deserve this. This innocent victim does not deserve this. I deserve what is being experienced on this altar. And you can understand if you were living in that day, if you had a heart, would you not say, what is all this about? Please teach me these object lessons. And we know that many of them knew the spirit of the, of the uh, matters. And now we come to the peace offering, very similar to the burnt offering, except now they'll be allowed to offer a female. And now part of the 
offering will be eaten by the priests and then the rest of it taken home by the offerer. The choicest parts like the fat and the call and the, the tail of a, of a sheep, for instance, are to be reserved for the Lord. And again, there's, there's, there's teaching there. The Lord deserves the deepest part of us. He deserves our hearts. He deserves our devotion, our allegiance. He deserves uh, our inmost feelings. And so those were burnt on the altar. And you have several places of the Bible where peace offerings are mentioned. Chapter 7 and chapter 22 of Leviticus and other places. And it certainly is uh, intricate and comprehensive, but I'm just trying to take some of the basic thoughts from these offerings and see how they typify and picture the Lord Jesus Christ. And it, we, we looked at our, our opening verse that Dan read. It says, Grace be unto you and peace. Notice, peace comes after grace. And the burnt offering is grace. Christ dies for our sins. He, he takes our sins away. He bears the wrath of God that we deserve. Now we can have peace with God. So grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say after He rose from the dead and He met with His disciples and He was showing His wounds? Three times we read together in John this, that portion in John's Gospel, peace be unto you. He could not say that unless grace had come to them. Grace was our, God's unmerited favor. Grace was Calvary. Grace was Jesus dying on the tree, suffering for our sins. Yes, we could say peace was there as well, but peace is the effect of grace, if you will. Peace is the effect, the result of the atonement. And therefore, it says in Romans 5, being justified by grace, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification comes first before sanctification. So you have grace being justified, a legal act of God, a legal declaration of God, that you're now right with God. Because it, we're having, it's Christ's righteousness credited to our account. And because Christ's righteousness is credited to our account and we're adopted into God's family, He can say, now have peace. You know, when, when, you, when you're in your family and you have, you're confident you're a child of your father and mother, you're a child of your parents, you're a child of, of those that are uh, in charge of the home or the household, you feel at peace to be able to come in and sit down at the table and eat. There's peace because you know you have a relationship with them, you, that you have... Uh, they have an interest in you, and you have an interest in them. And so you can see the logic of the peace offering coming third here in the five offerings in Leviticus chapter 3. It's God who's instituting these offerings. Man did not invent them. This is not a man-invented system. This is not Moses and Aaron saying, you know, uh, 
in a couple thousand years there's going to be a Messiah coming and we've got to create, we've got to invent pictures of Him. They had no idea that Jesus would, who the Messiah would be or how exactly He would suffer, but God did. And God gives us these intricate details. And how can you not think of the torture and the suffering involved, the pain, when God tells them to, to flay the, the animal, to cut it in pieces, to put it on an altar and burn it. How can you not think the knife plunging into the, into the neck or slitting its throat, however it was killed? How can you not think of what Jesus suffered? And the Bible speaks of it in other places. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that caused our peace was upon Him. He was chastised. And so, in a sense, the animal being offered, the animal being killed, cut in pieces, flayed, the fine flour being burned or baked, this is all about Christ and what He would suffer for us. We shouldn't skip over these portions when we read the Bible. I know they're hard. Hard concepts. Maybe it's good to have a commentary like Andrew Bonner's commentary or Bruce Waltke or however, but, or a Bible that has notes underneath it. But it's, it's good to read through and ponder. Even if you take one chapter here and think about Christ and what He suffered and, and how we were delivered from so great a death. Hell is heat. Hell is fire forever. And the Lord Jesus took that heat of God's wrath so that we wouldn't have to. So it's God who's the one that's inventing these pictures. And so we aren't to skip over them just because they're obsolete today. They're still the Scriptures. And we still should look at these pictures like the, the windows allow the, the, the light in. How, how pleasant it is. What would this room be like with no windows? And you know, the Lord was kind to us to give us a Bible with windows. And so what we're doing is we're, we're actually seeing the light ahead of time. Seeing Jesus, the Messiah. The root for peace offering is similar to the, the word shalom. And you know that's the word for peace. And Solomon comes from the word peace. And so when it talks about a peace offering, you think about the idea of peace. What is peace? What is peace? It's not just the cessation of hostility, because the hostility could remain. You know, you hear about a ceasefire between two nations. Does that mean now they're in love with each other? It means for the time being, they're not going to shoot each other. They want to shoot each other, but they have a, a, a ceasefire. Well, peace is the cessation of hostility, but it's positive. Negatively, it's the cessation of hostility, but positively, it's the cultivation of harmony. So it's not just that God is no longer angry with my sins, or no longer angry with me. He loves me. He's adopted me into His family. So peace is the fact that God no longer is angry but now He is appeased. He, he loves me, 
favors me. So Christ, He's the one that, that took the anger of God, the wrath of God, the heat of God. And it's because of Christ that we can know we have the favor of God. God loved us and sent us to Christ. Sent, us, sent Christ to save us. But some people have this idea that Christ had to win God's heart to love us. No, God loved us and sent Christ. But the fact is that God could not save us by dismissing His love, dismissing His justice, lowering the standard. People say, why would Jesus have to die? Why didn't God just say, I forgive you? Because God is holy. God is just. His sin has to be paid for. Would you think it was just for us to look at a murderer or just say, here's the, here's the spouse of a murderer. Uh, the, the, the spouse is standing before the, the murderer of their spouse and say, well, I love you and I forgive you. Just, just go. No, we know there has to be the crime that has to be paid for. And what is, what is the punishment of the crime against the holy God of the universe? But it's eternal in nature, not merely life. It's not merely a life sentence. It's an eternal sentence. And so this offering is not only called a peace offering, some have called it a fellowship offering because now God is saying to the criminal, not only do I forgive your sins, I've adopted you into my family. Come and sit at my table. So the idea of the peace offering is God gets His portion on the altar and then the, the priest and the offerer get their portion. So, as it were, God sits at the table with us. And with us, we have in the New Testament, the Lord's table. When you come to the Lord's table, the idea is Jesus is here. And He is spiritually. And He is fellowshipping with us. It's like the text that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear My voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, will eat with him, and he will eat with Me. And so we, can't, we don't look at the Lord's table as just believers eating, but God spiritually being with us in Christ, fellowshipping with us at the table. Don't you think He enjoys the, the, uh, the work of His cross? He still sits back and enjoys the work of His holy life and His, his sacrificial death. Don't you think He looks at His wounds and is satisfied? that He saved a people that He loved. It took His life and death. And so the Lord's table is a precious time for us to commune with God. Though we cannot see Him, we know that He is near. And so, the Lord is saying here, it's not merely a cessation of my hostility. I want you to know that I love you and I saved you because of that. And we can say when we come to the peace offering that there's nothing between my soul and the Savior. If you look at the peace offering, they could bring it. If they vowed to the Lord, they would, they would offer a peace offering or just voluntarily if there was no reason at all. Just because of spontaneous thanksgiving and joy, they could offer this peace offering. There didn't have to necessarily be a reason. And... It's not that we have a reason necessarily to give thanks or praise, but we just love the Lord and we just want to do so to honor Him. 
and all the details are hard to bring out, but uh, in particular, the detail of the peace offering was they were to not, a certain peace offering, they were not to eat it more than one day. They were not to let it go after one day. And in another peace offering, they were, they were eat it by the third day. And so what is the logic? And you know, obviously these things are, are, are uh, an educated scriptural guess. But certainly one point is you don't want the, the corruption. You don't want the meat to corrupt. And the meat, you know, the, the, the spotless, blemishless offering was the offering of Christ. And you don't want to mar the picture. But also the fact that the meat would be eaten quickly within a day or two speaks of our fresh devotion. You know, when, when you have fresh gratitude and praise, give it to the Lord right then and there. Don't wait to praise Him and thank Him. So we should always have the freshness about us. Perhaps even it's a picture of Christ's resurrection. They were to not eat it on the third day. They were to eat it by the third day. And Jesus rose on the third day early. And so you have all these suggestions and these pictures that certainly make us think and ponder our own spiritual lives. Do we give the Lord the freshness of, of, of our devotion? Or does He get... He, does he get the last part? Just like even in the tithes and offering, it's the first part of what God has given us. Not the last part. Well, if I have anything left over, I'll give it to the Lord. That's like giving token gestures to God. It's give Him your heart. What does Jesus call our love? First love. You have left your first love. Your, your, your primary love. Your fresh love. The Lord doesn't want the dregs. He wants the, the inmost and, and uh, the zeal, the, the joy, the devotion of His people. He wants us to know we're no longer His foes, that we're part of His family. So, now the Bible says that a female could be offered. And don't look at it anything negatively. It's just, instead of the, the animal, the sacrifice being the manner of the sacrifice, like Jesus was a male and He was without blemish, and so the male was offered. The female, it, 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 again, you don't look at necessarily the animal itself, whether it's male or female in this case. It's, he's showing us the effects of his death. The manner of his death was very specific. He, the male, and he was without blemish. And uh, the whole thing was to be offered. Picking, picturing Christ as a man of sorrows, as the son of Mary and Joseph. But now you have a male and a female, and so what the Lord is focusing on now is not so much the manner of the sacrifice, but the result of it, the effects of it. And again, we, we, we can't look at, at, at the, uh, the types of sacrifices as if there was something necessarily special about a bull or a goat or a lamb or a bird. The gradation of those, I think, taught us that... that rich or poor can be saved. That God accepted the offering of a rich person if they came sincerely, pleading the merits of this sacrifice, or a poor person that brought a bird or brought um, you know, something in a frying pan that anyone could own. That was a picture of the Lord accepting the faith of any person, rich or poor, uh, whatever uh, tongue or language. 
But we have to be careful that we focus on the animal instead of the fact that the focus is on the fact that they're sacrifices. That they're picturing Christ. So we're focusing on Christ, not the type of animal or the type of bird. And so everything has to, has to uh, zero in on the Lord Jesus. And so He gives us several kinds of animals and birds and kinds of sacrifices. They're all picturing the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. But He wants us to see that Jesus was a man. That Jesus was perfect. That Jesus suffered. That Jesus accomplished His work. And so you have the peace offering. If, if, if we can't be sure that we're saved and have the assurance of salvation, we would never have peace. We would never have tranquility. We would never be without worry, without anxiety. To be able to, to, to hear the words of Jesus, if you believe on Me, you have everlasting life. Now that brings peace. And for Him to come to His disciples who had forsaken Him, who had fled from Him, were they expecting peace be unto you? Perhaps they were expecting, if they ever saw the Lord again, how dare you? How could you have done this to me? How could you have forsaken me in my, in my most lonely hour? But He comes to them and says, Peace be unto you. I know that you forsook me, but you had to. I could not have any help. I had to suffer alone for your salvation. It's like that animal having to be sacrificed. We could not help. They had that animal had to, that the picture had to be that that animal takes our place and he has no help. The animal has no help. You bring him to the into the to the door of the tabernacle and the animal can't get away. Nobody's going to rescue the animal. It's got to be killed. Nobody rescued Jesus. He could have called His angels. Help me! Deliver me from the Gentiles. Deliver me from the Jews. Before they nailed Him to the tree, He could have said, Help me, Gabriel. Help me, Michael. But no, He had to die so that we wouldn't have to. And therefore, now we can say we have peace. Lord, we were so rotten and obnoxious and sinful. I know You were. And you are so sweet and so sinless. I know I am. I took your place because I loved you and I wanted to save you from your sins. And don't worry anymore. Your sins are under the blood. Sit with me at this day. Worship me in spirit and in truth. And so the, the three simple thoughts that we find in the New Testament I use here in the peace offering. The Bible speaks of peace from God. Peace with God and the peace of God. They sound very similar. They are, but they're different. The peace comes from God. And once you receive it, it's peace with God. Now He's your Heavenly Father. Jesus is your Savior. No longer your judge and no longer your enemy. And the peace of God is when now you can... You can live without any worry. You can know that the peace of God is, is in you that passes all understanding. And, and I think you can see all three of these in this offering. P 
peace from God. It didn't come from man. Notice again, if the sacrifice is a peace offering, this is the Lord speaking to Moses. It's the Lord who invented this. It's the Lord who said, I'm going to bring peace to man. This is a sacrifice bringing peace. That's the idea. The sacrifice of peace offering. What does that mean? The sacrifice that brings peace. In other words, the Lord is saying, I'm coming peaceably to you. In Judges chapter 6, the Lord is called Jehovah Shalom. The Lord who is peace. This is saying the Lord has authorized this peace offering. This wasn't again Moses or somebody saying, you know, you've had a we're offering these animals and we're calling these, these sacrifices this and that. Well, let's call this one peace. No, you see the, the logic here. You can't have peace with God until, you, until Christ is offered Himself. Until you, have, until you get right with God. You can't have peace with God until you're right with God. Just like you say, say you've offended someone and you know you have. You can't just walk up to them and say, How are you doing? Isn't it a nice day? Let's go for a walk. No. The first thing you do is, forgive me. I'm sorry for offending you. Will you, will you forgive me? Now, how's, your, how's it going? It's a nice day. Let's go for a walk. And so it is. We need to make, be right with God before we can have peace with God. God's wrath fall, fell on Jesus, and therefore we can't believe His wrath will fall on us if we're trusting in Christ's sacrifice, that's double jeopardy. God doesn't punish Christ and then punish a believer. That would be unrighteous of God. If He punished Jesus in my place and I trust in the Lord, then God can't punish me. It's a, it's a blessed inability of God. He cannot punish the sinner who's come to Christ if He's punished the, the Christ who died for the sinner. And He did. He, he punished Jesus and He will not punish those who trust in Jesus. If the substitute suffers, the offerer cannot. And isn't it interesting, over ten epistles in the New Testament start with grace be unto you and peace. It's always grace and peace. It's not peace and grace. First you get right with God, then you can walk with God. Over ten times. Sometimes it's peace and mercy, or grace, mercy, and peace. And sometimes love is in there, but it's always grace and peace. It's because of God's unmerited favor, grace. Think about the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve fell, who made the first overture? Do we find Adam and Eve saying, Lord, forgive me. Please, please come into the garden. I want to get right with you. What did they do? You could see that not only were they at odds with God, they were at odds with each other. They had to sow fig leaves. They were embarrassed that they were naked before each other. So there's, there's that separation between Adam and Eve right away by the fact that they wore those, those aprons. But then there was the realization of their separation from God as they hid from the Lord. I mean, obviously, you have a smile on your face. You can't hide from God. As David said, you take the wings of the wind and go to the opposite part of the globe. 
And there He is with us. You go to the moon. The man in the moon could not say, although the Russians said, where is God? God was everywhere. You see, it's God who came to Adam and Eve. Where art thou? He didn't come with a sledgehammer, did He? He came with love. God came because He desired peace. He could have cast them not only into the, out of the garden, but could have cast them into hell. It was the Lord who slew the animals and clothed Adam and Eve with a permanent clothing. But that's a picture of, of the blood of Christ. That Jesus had to die and were clothed with His righteousness. I do believe that the Lord saved Adam and Eve. And it was all because of the Lord looking ahead 4,000 years to the sacrifice of Jesus. But He taught Adam and Eve to build an altar and to offer sacrifices, picturing the fact that, that it wasn't Adam and Eve that procured their salvation. It was the salvation through an innocent victim. Jesus is called the King of Salem, the King of Peace. But Hebrews wants us to know before He's called the King of Salem, He's called the King of Righteousness, Melchizedek. You see the logic? The Hebrews writer is giving us theology. He's saying you cannot have peace with God until you are right with God. If Christ has to make you right with God, He's the King of Righteousness before He can become the King of Peace, the King of Salem. And that's the logic of this peace offering coming after the previous two offerings. Sin and crime must be paid before peace can be had. And that's why Paul could say to the Philippians who were, who were servants and saints and saved by the Lord, the God of peace shall be with you. Chapter 4 and verse 9. He's the God who brings peace. So the peace from God. Secondly, you have peace with God. As I quoted Romans 5, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. See the difference between from, from is the source, with is the experience. Peace with God, you're face to face as it were. You're able to sit at the same table. You're able to walk together. What does it say in Amos? How can two walk together except they be agreed? You're, when, when, when you... When you trust Christ, you've agreed with God that you're a sinner and you need Him. And when you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're able to walk with God because you're in agreement now. You're not saying, it's my works that saves me. I didn't offend you. Someone else did. No, we're saying we agree with you, Lord. We deserve your wrath. We accept the fact that you've sent your Son. Forgive us of our sins. Make us your children. We have no... Merit of our own. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to Thy cross I cling. Then we can walk with God. It must have been so sweet for Adam and Eve that even though they were cast out of the garden, it doesn't mean that they didn't hear the voice of God anymore. He walked with them as they, as they lived for Him subsequently. He's the one that taught them to build the altar and in the beginning of the sacrificial system, he's he was no doubt with them as they were as they were tilling and seeing now weeds and and uh, the difficulty of 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 uh, tilling the garden and keeping it, protecting themselves 
further from the onslaughts of the devil and his demons. Think of all that Adam and Eve had to face now after the fall. But now they were saved. And God, the fellowship with the Lord was restored to them. And they could expect the Lord still to come to them. Maybe it was a little cooler in the day now as things began to change. But now they had peace with God. Therefore, at the end of chapter 4, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. You have the origin of public worship. They sensed they had peace with God. They were sinners saved by grace. What does it say with Enoch? He walked afar off from God. He walked with God. And while he was walking with God, the next step was in glory. The Lord took him. You see, Enoch shows us he's the representative of a believer that's walking with God. So in the peace offering, the offerer eats a portion of the offering. What is that saying? God eats. It's a picture there. He doesn't need food. What does it say in Psalm 50? I own the cattle on a thousand hills. If I was hungry, I wouldn't ask you. I'm the one that provides your food. But the point of the peace offering is God gets His portion. Then the priest and the offer get their portions. The priest lived off the altar. You don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. And So the priests were the Lord's servants, full-time servants. But the offer got most of it. Well, when I say most of it, the priest got the right, the, 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 the heave and the wave offerings. They got a portion of the, of the uh, waste or whatever they call that. The, what do they call the, the, uh, the big portion of meat here? The, the thigh, and they got another big piece of meat, but the rest of it went to the offer. And they could take it home and eat. And the point there was again that, that they're fellowshipping with God. It was God's altar. They have peace with God. It's called actually in verses 11 to 16, you see, it's no longer, normally it says this is a sweet savor unto God, but look at verses 11 and 16. Instead of saying, and the priest shall burn it upon the altar as a sweet savor unto the Lord. It says it's the food of the offering made by fire unto the Lord. So it's actually saying it's the food for the Lord. And so the spiritual idea or the picture there is God is sitting at the table with one sinner who's deserving His wrath. Now the sinner is a saint because of the sacrificial death. And now God eats and the sinner eats. And they're at the same table. And they're no longer, no longer foes. They are friends. What was Abraham called? The friend of God. As it were, the believer is invited to the table for a meal with a reconciled God. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. I think that's text primarily for believers. But as believers, we can shut the Lord out. Our sin sometimes, uh, well, our sin will certainly cause us to be separated from the Lord as far as fellowship. And Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. As it were, the church has sinned. And He's on the outside. And He says, If any man will hear My voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with Me. I think there can't be any sadder thought than a believer who's no longer able to eat at the table with the Lord. There's something between our soul and the Savior. Oh, that we would, we would labor every day to, to not sin against the Lord, but when we have sinned, that we would, 
quickly repent and make sure that there's nothing outstanding between us and God. And again, I mentioned, you don't have to turn there, 7, 15, and 17, the food was to be eaten on the same day for a thanksgiving offering, a vow offering, but by the third day for a voluntary offering. And so the point is, while the benefit is still fresh, fellowship with God. It's free, you, can be, you can just simply fellowship with God for no reason at all. Just free and spontaneous. But no taint of corruption. Don't let any corruption get into the meat. Christ is a holy Savior. He was called, that holy thing shall be born of thee is the Son of God. He rises the third day. And perhaps it's also a thought that the priests were not to allow it to, to go beyond the first or the third day. And so it was preventing the priests from hoarding up the food. That if they, did, if they had some left over, they would invite friends. They would invite neighbors to share it with them. Why would they want it to corrupt? You wouldn't throw that out. You would call others into fellowship with you. Just talking about how not only when we have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So you have peace that comes from God. It was God's idea. Peace with God. They both ate at the same table. But picture the believer now being able to go home. His sin had been taken care of, as it were. He knew now he was right with God. And he could go home saying, I'm a child of God. He loves me. I didn't have to be put on that altar of fire. The sacrificial victim did. Remember the logic of Paul. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall guard, shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing. What is it to be more anxious about than knowing that you're not right with God? That has got to be the worst anxiety that a person starts to realize. But the, but the fearful thing is, there are people in this world that don't know they're at odds with God. They don't know that if they died today, they would be in hell. They don't know how holy a God is. They don't know how unholy our sin is. They've got to know that, there's, that, that God is their enemy, though He's their Creator. That right now, He's their enemy until they get saved. They've got to have a mediator. But can you and I remember the day when we realized, I'm not right with God. I need to be saved. I need Christ. My sin is horrible. It's insulting to God. It has separated me from God. I'm a criminal. Where will I spend eternity? That's a cause for anxiety. But when I know Jesus has taken the heat, that God has forgiven my sins, He's, He's accepted my faith in Christ, He's forgiven me, there's peace. There's the cessation of hostility. The cessation of anxiety. There is the presence of harmony, joy, the believer could say, God accepted my gift. 
They put it on the fire, his portion, and it burned up. And it was a sweet savor. And the priest, no doubt, would say this. This is what is said to us. And this is what Moses was saying to the people and to Aaron. And as they put their hands upon the victim's head again, Aaron would teach them, look, this is a transfer of your guilt to that innocent victim. Oh, how do I know that God has accepted the innocent victim in my place? Well, here you go. He puts the hat, he puts pieces on it, and as the fire goes up, especially as they put that fat and the call and the and the kidney, the, the flame goes up. And Aaron says, Don't be afraid. It's the victim that's that took the wrath. But this is God accepting your substitute. You don't get burned. You don't get consumed. This is God's a sweet savor to him. And the and the and the, sat, the offerer can say, I wasn't even singed. God has accepted my offering. He's accepted me in this offering in Christ. And I can go home now and put my head on the pillow and not worry that if I died tonight where I would be. In other words, God has accepted my gift. I can now return to my house rejoicing. Kind of similar to what David did. David was picturing the Lord in a sense. This is Second Samuel 6.18. It says, David offered burnt and peace offerings and blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And he divvied out. He dealt a cake of bread and a piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. And so all the people departed, everyone to his own house. David was a picture of the Lord. And he was doing what the Lord did to these offerers. Here's your piece of flesh. Now, it doesn't speak about wine here, but they did have drink offerings. And, and uh, you, you see the, the, uh, the food offering here. But the people departed, every man to his own house, as it were, saying, the king loves me. The king shared the spoils of his victory. And you and I can say in Christ, he loves me, the king loves me. He shares the spoils of what He wrought in His death at Calvary. What are the spoils? Forgiveness of sins, the hope of everlasting life, being in the family of God, being adopted in all the aspects of the Gospel, the promises of God that He's chosen us to be, to be uh, ambassadors for Christ. That we can know if we died today that to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Now that's a cause for peace and tranquility and joy in the Lord. They could return home knowing that their sins were forgiven, pictured, obviously. Their sins were forgiven and that God was appeased. You know, it's interesting too, there's another sidelight that Leavened bread could be offered in a peace offering or in, in a certain offering, chapter 7, verse 13. And what was that a picture of? It's, and one writer said it this way, it's a picture of our confessed sin. We're spreading our corruption even before God. We're saying, Lord, we know we're corrupt. We're not going to hide our pride or our unbelief or our deceit. Lord, we come to You as far as we know with nothing between our soul and You, but Lord, we've got leaven in our lives. 
And we're not going to hide it from you. Just like the Bible says, if we confess our sins, thou art faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We spread our corruption before God and we plead the blood of Jesus Christ. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. No hypocrisy, Lord. We don't wait the next day or after the third day to eat. We don't want coldness of heart. We want to worship the Lord with, with zeal and with freshness. With no uncleanness upon us. Touch no unclean thing or you'll be, you'll, you'll be cut off from the company. Chapter 7, verse 21. Remember it at the uh, bottom of Mount Sinai. You know what it says about the people, the hypocrisy before they worshipped the golden calf? It says they offered peace offerings and then they worshipped the golden calf. See the hypocrisy? We have peace with God. And now we can have license to sin. Remember in Proverbs, the immoral woman, it says she went to church. She said to the, to the man that she was... She was uh, uh, Tempting, She said, I've offered peace offerings today. I went to church. I'm right with God. And I have license now to commit adultery. Judas had just eaten bread with the Lord. And it says, he, Jesus said, He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his, his heel against me. That's not what we're doing. And you know, the question that might be applicable for you and me today do our Mondays reflect our Sundays? I remember as a, as a hypocritical Roman Catholic even, I was a, a religious pagan. But I used the five o'clock confession booth to give me a license to get drunk later on Saturday night. Heck, I got a clean slate. All I need to do every Saturday is just go to the altar, as it were. Offer my burnt and peace offerings. And I'm good to go for another week. Is that the logic of the sacrifice? Does the man who offers his burnt offering and offers his peace offering then walk away and say, man, I can't wait now. I'm going to just sow my wild oats and I'm going to go uh, steal and rob and commit adultery and, and, uh, and worship idols. No, you would think that the man would walk away the smell of death the sight of the fire and the priest having been bloodied himself, the sprinkling of blood and seeing all that's going on, the ashes. You think he'd go away saying, man, this is a license to sin? You'd think that the gratitude, thank You, Lord. Thank You that I wasn't put on that altar. And now, Lord, I want to go show You my thanksgiving by a holy life. I want to tell the truth. I want to, I want to worship only You. I want to... Just spread the truth with my family. If he didn't have his children there, he'd go home and say, Dad, what happened there? What's all it mean? He could, he could sit his children down and say, well, this is how much I know right now. This is how much Aaron and his sons have taught me. But there's more to learn. But all I can say is that that animal was in my place. That animal was killed for me. The wrath of God fell upon that innocent victim or that fine flower. We have a Savior that's going to come. He who said to Adam and Eve to be 
the seed of the woman. And so our challenge today is do we leave worship having peace with God and now being committed to keep peace with God? How are we after worship? What will be our afternoon and evening be like tonight? Worldliness? Levity? Are Monday's holy effects of the Lord's days? May God help us to go home rejoicing, praising, praying, enjoying, singing, Obeying, reading, meditating, sharing, thinking, thanking, evangelizing. As Philippians 4.9 says, Obedience will bring the sense that the God of peace shall be with you. To be able to say over and over again, Thank you, Jesus, for being my sacrifice of peace offering. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank You, Father, for the Gospel. Thank You for Your mercy. Your grace and Your mercy and Your love and Your peace. Lord, we know it's not an imaginative thing. It's real. We can look back. We know that Jesus died for us. Your Word says so. There are witnesses to Your death, to Your resurrection. You spoke to Paul on his way to Damascus. You spoke to him in Corinth. You spoke to Stephen. He saw you, Lord. You returned and showed that you were alive. Our brothers Moses and Elijah came here and they spoke to you and they were introduced to the disciples. It's real. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We thank You, Jesus, that You are that Savior. We need You. Please, forgive us our sins. We plead Your blood and Your righteousness. Thank You, Father, that it pleased You to bruise Him. You wanted Him to die so that we would live. And He agreed with you. We know that the Trinity is in perfect agreement. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In perfect agreement that the Son would become man and live and die in our place. And rise from the dead. In perfect agreement to save rotten, hell-deserving sinners like me. Thank you, Lord. Help us to walk with you the little time that we have left. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing together from our blue hymnals, Nothing Between My Soul and the Savior. Number 448.